You're listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. Listen, I'm glad you're here this morning. We are continuing a series that we're doing called Structure. And the reason we're doing this series is because when I preached a message on structures on the last Sunday of of July, it seemed that that kind of hit a lot of people, and they were very curious on how you create structures in your life, in your family, and um, I want you to know that this series is is a lot of practical stuff that's going to actually help you with the nuts and bolts of your life. Now, look, I, I love the messages where you, you can get pumped and get encouraged and get excited, and I hope you get that here as well. I want you to leave, though, today with something that you can actually use to build something great in your life for the Lord. And so today we're going to get a little practical, but we're going to talk specifically about structure in our relationships, structure in relationships. And I'm specifically talking today about your friend network. That's what I've titled this today is, is the support network. Um, that don't necessarily mean your social network because y'all, social media is crazy. And you can find anybody to argue with you and you can find anything, anybody to affirm you. You hear what I'm saying? Like, I mean, my goodness, I posted the other day, um, you people driving the speed limit in the left lane, what y'all doing, man? <laughs> see, see, I got some affirmation. Now, some of y'all are probably thinking, you're the preacher. You need to be obey the law. <laughs> okay. The trucks say 125 on the thingy, though. So I'm just seeing what I'm just testing. I'm kidding. I don't go that fast. Y'all really, y'all really judging me right now, aren't you? I just feel it. I feel the daggers. Rebuke that in the name of Jesus. No, um, but you can find people to agree with you. You can find people to push back against you. I mean, my goodness, a lot of the political stuff going on in Dayton right now with taxes and all that stuff. Oh, all you got to do is say one little thing in Dayton 411 and the world explodes. Y'all hear what I'm saying? But today we're talking about our friend networks. There's a reason for this. I do believe that the order is God, spouse, family, friends, and everyone else. But there are plenty of times in our lives when we need the input of people in our friend group to help us better our relationships with God, our spouse, and our family. I don't know if y'all know this, but... You can't necessarily just go straight up to your spouse without any type of warning and tell her the problem that she got in her life. Maybe y'all can, but like, I can go, but I got to be wearing like the night suit, you know what I'm saying? Like a conk, you know, with the sword and all that stuff, the shield. It, it's not as easy to do that. But, but those, those friendships that we have, a lot of times those friends can speak into us. Those friend relationships absolutely don't trump the first three, but those friend relationships are vital to the health of the first three. So I don't want to just give you information and not tell you how, so let me tell you how. The first part of it is this. For some reason, we have a hard time receiving correction from family. <laughs> some of y'all thinking right now, oh, I, I tried, somebody tried to correct me this morning, and we ain't having it. Y'all going to have the meanest, rudest boudin balls at lunch because of what happened in the morning. You know what I'm saying? Like, like. Every time they go to grab a chip at the burrito, you're going to crinkle their chip just because you're still mad at them about what they try to correct you with this morning. Blind spots, though, are real. Hey, you have a blind spot. In fact, you probably got a lot of them. Blind spots are, by definition, spots you can't see. Okay? Your wife, men, knows every one of them. Oh, they got, they got them things GPS charted out. You hear what, they got an Excel document spreadsheet. All right, they got all, they know exactly, but hey, listen up, ladies, your boys do too. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> all right, so the marriage meetup is uh, tentatively on Sunday afternoons, right after service, right after second service. 
I ain't worried about him coming to the men's uh, to the uh, marriage meetup. I'm worrying about him making it to the men's meetup. You know what I'm saying? Like to the swims. <laughs> oh Jesus! All right. Um, here's the thing: we see family as a safe place where people should just accept us. Um, in the family, you're an easy target. When your when your spouse has had a bad day, your kids have had a bad day, you're just an easy target. Um, you're there, and they know that you're not going to walk away from them. If you say something, families where the guard is down and you're exposed and that makes you second guess yourself around them going forward if they start addressing all these problem areas in you. I mean, my goodness, what happens if, if your spouse looks at you and said, you know, you do this and I don't really like it. Now, you may take that, you may not, but then you'll start going like, what, what else do they don't like about me? Like, so you start checking yourself in the mirror like, they don't even like how I look no more. You know what I'm saying? Like all these little lies just begin to pop up in your head. We also know the weaknesses of the family member addressing your weakness. So it's super easy to respond with, the pot calls the kettle black, okay, really? Rather than simply accepting the correction. Now listen, I'm not saying this is how it should be. But, but let's be honest, this is a lot of times how it actually is. This is how it is. If your spouse came to you today with an issue that they saw in your life, would you receive that correction with a repentant heart, wanting to be better, or would you get defensive? Spouses, you should be able to talk about anything with each other. Y'all should be able to share anything with each other. You, you should expect there to be understanding and grace whenever you do bring them an issue that you're struggling with. But is there? Is there that grace and understanding? What if your issue is with the spouse? Do you, do you just go up and just unpack? No, listen, a healthy relationship, you should be able to. Now, it's not like, I can't believe you. It's not with condemnation. So don't get like that. Don't get in there like, oh. Oh, you finna change. We, we finna have some changes around here. <laughs> no, you, you finna experience some change. What if the issue was with something that was hurtful to your spouse? What if there was an activity that you were engaging in that would have been hurtful to your spouse if you just went up and told her? How do you deal with that? Is that the right way to handle it? Just say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. Take it or leave it. We have a hard time giving correction to family, too. You know why? It's because we value peace over progress. We, uh, we'd rather keep the peace than address an issue. Here's why. You've got enough mess going on in your life. You've got enough. And if we pretend like it ain't a problem, it's kind of not a problem. At least in one sense, that my peace is not being disturbed. Our family structures have to get better. And we're going to talk specifically about family next week. But we're talking today about friends. The reason I brought that first bit up is because while it's hard to receive correction from family, it's a little bit easier from a friend. Why? Second, friend relationships give us the opportunity for growth without the pressure. Within the family, there's always pressure. There's pressure to lead, pressure to keep the peace, pressure to provide, pressure to please, pressure to train up kids, pressure to to make sure your spouse is happy but with the friend the pressure a lot of times is off this is part of why we receive correction from friends way better than from family it's because it's a low pressure situation and we're more likely to embrace a corrective moment than to defend ourselves against it because the pressure to maintain is drastically less all right if you sit down and have a coffee with a friend and they say something to you that kind of rubs you the wrong way you ain't got to go home with them 
But what if you're out a couple? It's a couple, and y'all are meeting another couple, and y'all having y'all's little conversation, and everything's great, everything's fine. But all of a sudden, there, there's a little tiff in the in the in the meeting. Like there's a little row that you have between you and your spouse. Y'all got to ride together back home, and y'all know y'all don't cut the radio on. Y'all just sitting in silence. Just you can you can hear the steam coming out of ears. You know what I'm saying? And then when you get home, am I lying over here? Am I telling the truth? And then you get home, and like you're trying to figure out, I'm gonna go to another room. I ain't gonna look at them. Okay, that's, that's what we do. But, but with friends, the pressure of all that stuff is off. It's in, in terms, it creates this opportunity for growth without the pressures that come with the family, giving us the ability to, co- to correct something without fear of a confrontation. So how does this help in our family life? Well, it's because we can address issues within ourselves that are negatively impacting our family. And you need friends to do that. You need them. Now, I know that I can seem like I'm saying that, that, oh, you never can address issues with your family and correction and all that, and the healthiest thing to do is to try not to correct the family because they're probably not going to receive it. That's not what I'm saying at all. That's, that's not how it should be. Healthy correction and the receiving of it should be healthy and normal in your friend relationships and in your family. It should be both. You should be able to give correction and receive correction with family and friends. But let's be honest, it's easier and oftentimes more productive when we get it from our friends. Typically, correction in our family comes after a fight. What am I saying? Well, I'm saying that most people have a hard time receiving correction from in their household. So it's imperative that you have people in your life to help you address the issues. Otherwise, the issues don't get addressed. They only get suppressed. And can I tell you something? A suppressed issue will become a nuclear bomb in your family. Well, I just don't want to deal with it. If I deal with it, then I have to talk about it. Okay, so... Pain now or pain later? What do you want? Do you want this much pain now and this much pain later? Because that's what's on the table, guys. Like, I, I, would, I would love to tell you that if you just stuff it under the table, that Jesus just goes under there with a dust buster and it's all gone. I would love to tell you that. But, but for some reason, Jesus makes us deal with issues in our lives to get better. It's partially so you can get better, and it's partially so you can learn how to deal with it, so you can help somebody else deal with it. You see, you're not just, it's not just about you and what's going on in your world. There are people in your life right now that are waiting for you to deal with whatever issue it is that you're not willing to address with your family because you are going to be the, the avenue that their freedom comes through. Jesus, why are you making me go through this? Why is my family so jacked up? Maybe it's because you have such a huge calling to help jacked up families get unjacked up, but you've got to go through the wilderness first. Moses was 40 years in the wilderness before he spent 40 years in the wilderness. What was Moses learning to do in the wilderness in the first 40 years? He was learning how to navigate, learning how to get through it, learning the secrets, learning the tricks, learning the tips, learning what water looks like in a desert, learning what a nice place, what, learning what to do when it's cold in the desert at nighttime. That's what he was learning. He knew, at least after that burning bush, that he was about to lead some people through it. What if you knew in the middle of your mess that God's plan for your mess was for you to lead other people through it? Would it give you some more encouragement to receive and take correction? Third, having friends help destroy the isolation we can so easily feel. We're, we're more connected than ever and can be more isolated than ever. But and sometimes we feel like we're the only ones that are ever going through something. But with people outside of our family and our lives, we can see we are not the only one with the struggle or with the issue. You'd be surprised at how many people are struggling with the very same thing that you're struggling with in your family. 
And you know what? You're never going to tap into that if you don't have a, a, a support network, if you don't have friends to help you with that. So there are, there are three groups that people other than family need to fall into when, it talks, when we're talking about your friend connection. So let's talk about that, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end up with giving you three wrenches that the enemy always throws in um, to, to keep you from building an effective structure in your friend groups. But here's, here's what the structure should look like. The first one is acquaintances. Okay, acquaintances. These are people you know. These are people you can laugh with. These are not people who get to speak into your life on a deep level. You can't tell everyone everything. Not everyone is walking the same direction as you. They may not agree or may not understand, or they may be actively engaged in trying to lead you on the wrong path. These are outer level relationships that come and go. Example, high school friends, work associates. And hey, this group can be Christians or not. These are just, okay, this is 98.7% of your Facebook friend list. Y'all know y'all don't be talking to nobody you went to high school with. Come on, man. I talked to one person I went to high school with, and it's because she's married to my brother. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know y'all. And I'll get a friend request from somebody from 25 years ago. I'm like, I don't know you. Trying to look at my kids and my family and stuff. Like, I don't know you. I don't even hardly recognize people from when I was, you know what I'm saying? Like, who are you trying to talk to me? No. Oh, we went to high school together. Were we friends? No, man, I saw you in class one time. Why are you trying to, tra- anyway, these are, you're an acquaintance. All right, that's what you are, bro. You're an acquaintance. We might can become friends, but you're an acquaintance to start off with. All right, so this is the first, this is the outer level. The second is this, friend. These are people you know and interact with often. These are people you can laugh and cry with. These are people you let speak into your life on a deeper level. These are people walking in the same general direction as you. These are inner level relationships that you typically have over the course of years. Example, church friends, longtime friends, close work associates, etc. This group should be Christian just due to the fact that you're giving them the ability to speak into your life. These are friends. Not many of us have them. Okay, never mind. friends the last one and this is this is the important one this is your squad this is your inner core friends typically maxed out at three to five people this is your daily interaction group these are the people that have access to the deepest parts of you you share just about everything with them they are walking in the same direction and often on the same exact path who are they well here who do you tell everything to who do you talk to every day This is the group that needs to be the healthiest relationship in your life other than God, spouse, and kids. You have to have full transparency at this level. The members of this group need to be healthy and mature in life and in faith. And let me give you a fair warning. These are the ones that hurt the most. These are the ones that can hurt. Because you let them into the absolute deepest level of your life. Let me give you some biblical evidence for these because a lot so far we've just been talking, but let me give you some Bible on it. Matthew 15, Jesus feeds the 4,000. See, these are acquaintances. These are just people that are following him. These are people that he doesn't really know them super well. These are just people that are following. Matthew 16, take up your cross. This is friend group. These are his disciples. For sure the 12, but that could even include the 72 that he sent out. These are people in a circle. These are people that know Jesus by name that connect with him pretty regularly. But then he had his squad. We look at Matthew 17, the transfiguration. Peter, James, and John. 
came with Jesus. Interestingly enough, John was the one that wrote the revelation. So he had, I mean, I would potentially say the deepest level of interaction with Jesus of all those three. But Peter was the one who technically led the church um, as, as a universal church. And James is the one who led the church in, in Jerusalem. So these are the three guys that had the highest level of interaction with Jesus and the highest level of responsibility once Jesus left. Here we got it. Acquaintances, friends, and squad. Lastly, let me give you some practical nuts. We're going to take, I'm going to take you to three points of some practical nuts and bolts of healthy structural, uh, structural relationships. Um, there's a quote, you've heard it, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Anybody ever heard that before? Uh, this is why your friend gr- groups, your friend relationships are absolutely so important. They're monumentally influential in your life. In fact, I'm willing to bet that some of your friends have a deeper level of influence on you than anybody in your family. You have to be sure you keep an eye on the level of benefit versus toxicity. Why is that? We can all be beneficial and we can all be toxic. Every one of us. You have the potential for both. Philippians 2 4, uh, 2 through 4 says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You see, Christianity is obviously about a relationship with God, absolutely. But the closer you get to Jesus, the more of that which makes you toxic is removed. That's why when you have somebody that has a genuine, real relationship with Jesus, you tend to navigate towards those people because there's a level of benefit that just comes from their being that is different. Because in the world, what we get more than anything is toxicity from people. We get constant toxicity. Constantly. I mean, my goodness, social media could be the biggest cesspool in the world. It's just nonstop negativity. Non-stop toxicity. Well, look at us. I'm on a beach. Man, you ain't on a beach. You're in your backyard. You got a camera angle is what you got. You know what I'm saying? But like everybody's best of becomes our, our litmus test, our, the, the, the metric that we use to determine whether or not we're good, bad, or ugly. And, and, and so it's, it's just not healthy because of all the toxicity. But as we get closer to Jesus, we get less and less toxic. Now, why is that good? It's because you don't want to be a toxic person. But number two, you don't want to be a toxic person for other people. You don't want to bring your toxicity into other relationships. Why? Because you don't want people bringing their toxicity into your relationship. I mean, he's like, you know, I, I love this friend. They, th- their toxicity is the best. Like, I love how toxic they are. This is the benefit of walking with the body of Christ towards Jesus. Listen, we collectively get better if we're willing to do what it takes to get better. Can I tell you something? There's toxic people in the church. Y'all like, mm-hmm, you know, that's, that's the truest thing you've said today. I read Bible verses today. No, nah, that was true, too. No, it's, it's true, isn't it? And a part of the reason is because we're, we're broken, too, man. Like the level of perfection that people expect church people to have is incredibly unfair. It's incredibly unfair. I'm in construction, too. Well, you're the lead pastor. You're supposed to have it all together. Okay. <laughs> Don't put that on me. Don't put that juju on me. You know what I'm saying? It's like I, I'm not perfect at all. I'm going to make a mistake. In fact, I tell my friends regularly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something you ain't going to like at some point. But, but what if, rather than trying to recognize, point out, and exacerbate somebody's toxicity, what if we were all dedicated to being beneficial to each other? There are some wrenches that the enemy throws in 
to the structure of our relationships. So I want to get practical with a few of these. And just let me remind you that that squad group, not every single person, you can't build every single structure in your life based on what the squad looks like. So let me tell you the first thing to do is um, if you're going to build a house or if you're going to build some type of building, the first thing you do is you have to figure out what kind of building you're building. Is this a home? Is this an office? Is this a warehouse? Because honestly, a warehouse is built a little differently than your house is. Well, I hope so. We have a barn, though. Hey, whatever, man. It's, whatever is up to you. But you think, about what, you think about what you're building first. So one of the best things you can do is identify what kind of person this is in your life. Are you an acquaintance, are you a friend, or are you a squad? This is one of the best ways to start building that structure. Let me give you one of the first wrenches is your identity. Satan throws a wrench of identity into these relationships. Your identity plays the biggest role in your relationships. If you don't have a good grasp on who you are, you will choose friends that give you identity. This starts by finding people who affirm who you think you are. Now, this isn't necessarily bad because if you think you're a good Christian, you tend to navigate towards people that are good Christians. I mean, so it, it's not bad necessarily, but it can be if they're not willing to have courageous conversations that lead you into the truth of the word. Just because somebody calls himself a Christian doesn't mean that they have your best interest in mind. Okay? But, but your identity, it's very important. To know yourself, you have to know God. You, you can only find your identity in him. And there's several reasons for that, but primarily it's because he knows you. Look at Jeremiah 1.5. We always read Jeremiah 29.11, but let's read Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. That word know is to, to understand with certainty, to recognize you. Let me ask you this. Do the friends that are speaking into your life right now, do they know you? Do they, do they have a certainty about you, an understanding of who you are and what you're about? Do they recognize you? And let me ask you this. Do they recognize when you ain't acting like you? One of the, one of the things that warmed my heart the most one day is I went over to Brandon's house for something. Oh, it, was, it, was, it was your little party or whatever. And I'd had a terrible week. And I, I mean, I wasn't even out of the truck yet. And both Riley and Alexis looked at me and said, what's wrong? I was like, I'm good, nothing. No, what's wrong? Like they could see it on my face from the moment I stepped out of my truck. See, I need people in my life like this. Because what I would do is I would typically just say, yeah, I'm good, put on my little mask, do my happy thing, and go home sad. But instead, I, I let them in on what was going on, something that their husbands already knew about what was going on. I, I let them in, and because of that, I was able to get some healing there. Yeah. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't let what had happened to me that week determine my identity. They knew me better than I knew me in that moment, and they recognized, they, they recognized something was wrong. You need people in your world like that. The danger of allowing identity to be the driver in building relationships is that it can create a foundation based on something that was never designed to carry weight. This is such a shrewd plan of the enemy. He, he tricks you into building your life on a lie of identity, and then he surrounds you with situations that attack your identity. I mean, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, he attacked Eve's identity. Did God really say, hey, he's he keeping something from you. He's hiding something from you. You're not really who God said you were. This, what this does is it, it creates something in you that craves affirmation and others' acceptance of who you think you are. Satan wants you to build everything in your life and in your relationships on the shifting sand, this crazy shifting structure. He never wants you to have stability in your life. I am what I've done. I am what has been done to me. 
I am what makes me happy. I am what makes other people happy. I am what makes me feel good. But here's the thing with God, we're not identified by our actions or our feeling or our past. We're identified by our Father in heaven. God knows who you are. Even when you're not willing to believe who you are yourself, God knows you. He recognizes you. And before he ever said light, let there be light, he knew exactly what you were going to be. And guess what? He knew that you were going to have experiences in your life that were going to crash against your identity. And he still put all his money on you. That's who we're talking about here. Galatians 3, 28, 29. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Hear me right now. Your identity is wrapped up in who he says you are and nothing else. Yeah, but but I've done such bad things. Okay, David murdered people. Come on, man. Pick a Bible character that did something great for God, and they have a bad rap sheet, man. Like, these are some straight losers. But God, for some reason, said, these are my people. Why? Why? Maybe it's because when God looks at you, he doesn't see all the things that you think give you identity, but maybe he sees what he thinks you are. Maybe he looks at you and he sees son and daughter, not loser, or, or, or adulterer, or murderer or backbiter, or liar, or not good enough. He knew you weren't good enough. That's why he said, you're mine. I'm going to make sure you're good enough because I'm good enough. So your healthy structure for relationships begins with healthy structure with your Father in heaven. You're never going to get satisfaction in gaining identity from people, but you will when your identity comes from God. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord, you need to meet him today. He doesn't make it hard. Like, well, I've got to come to the altar and fill a card. It's not even altar time yet. No, say right now, I confess you, Jesus, as Lord. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Save me. If you say that and you mean that, he means it. You're saved. We've got to stop making people think they've got to jump through hoops to get to Jesus. He made it so simple. Confess and believe. Romans 10, 9 and 10. The closer you are to Jesus, the less you need people for identity. And the more you receive it from him. So the first wrench is your identity. Let me give you the second one is your search. Your search. You're always looking. You're always going to find what you're looking for. Huh? My mom used to say it. Oh, I hate it. It, I've said it to my kids. And when I said it to my kids, I thought I was going to have a stroke or something. Here's the word. Here's the phrase. Seek to find. Mom, where's my shoes? Seek to find. Don't eat. Tell me where my shoes are. Like, how about you help me out over here? You know what I'm saying? Like, how many, like, I don't know how many times John Williams says, Dada, I lost my phone. Because we let him play one of our old phones, you know, games, stuff like that. He don't have, like, a phone. He ain't ready for that. I don't know if he's ready for the phone he got right now because he can't find it ever. We got to have find my iPhone. It's like the most used app on my phone. From bing, bing, bing. Oh, it's in my pocket. I'm about to kick you. Look at, you know what I'm saying? Like, seek to find. You're going to find what you're looking for, though. Try it. Think about it in your life. If you are looking to be hurt at that new church, you're going to get hurt. If you're looking to be taken advantage of by your boss, you're going to find it. Satan knows this. And so he'll try to get you to focus on what you think is important. I mean, think about Judas versus Peter. Judas wanted a conqueror to eliminate Rome. He couldn't handle a carpenter who preached the spiritual kingdom. And peace, ugh, peace, no, get him out of here. Andrew and John, 
They were looking for the Messiah in John chapter 3. They were looking for a relationship, not a religious experience. This is a huge wrench for people within the body of Christ. They want an experience more than they want a relationship. The experience becomes the idol of the relationship rather than the evidence of the relationship. Jesus had a pretty harsh word for those who sought a sign. In Matthew 16, 4, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except for the sign of Jonah. What's the sign of Jonah? That's the inclusion of us, the Gentiles, into the kingdom. What does this have to do with relational structures? When it comes to relationship, what are you seeking? What are you looking for in a friend? Because here's the thing, you're going to find it. Are you seeking someone to grow with, to get better, to address issues in your life, to dig in and help you process pain, someone to laugh and cry with? Or are you just looking for somebody to get what you want out of them? I need somebody to give me my identity. I need somebody to give me affirmation. I need somebody who's not going to challenge me to be my best because I just want to kind of float through and not really ruffle any feathers. Don't rock the boat, baby. Don't rock the boat. In business, there are four C's of hiring, competence, capability, character, and chemistry. Perhaps in our context, it could be character, chemistry, calling, and Christ-likeness. Here's my question. What metrics do you choose your friends with? What are you searching for? If you aren't getting what you're looking for, then why? Is it that you can't find them, or is it just you? This is important because... Remember, if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. So who are you surrounding yourself with? Who are the people? And let's, let's, just, let's just knock acquaintances off, off, off the table for just a second. Let's talk about friends and squad. Who, who is in your friend group that you let speak into your life? And are they speaking the things that are resonating with what God's already been saying to you? Come on, hear me on that. Because a lot of times what we'll do is we'll go after people who are saying what we want to hear rather than what the Spirit is saying to us. Now listen, if you want to find somebody that's going to tell you what the Spirit is saying, you better be listening to the Spirit for yourself. Because you cannot compare what they're saying to what the Spirit's saying if you ain't hearing what the Spirit's saying. Now, it ain't going to be Morgan Freeman in your head. It's typically going to be your own voice and your own feeling and your own sense. A lot of times God will keep repeating a message to you over and over and over again through different venues until you get it. Because, y'all, we are sheep and we are boneheaded. Do you hear what I'm saying? So God will keep repeating it. You keep seeing the same sign somewhere. You, somebody will keep texting you the same thing. Well, I can't believe it. That's the third person this week told me that. That's Jesus talking to you, bro. So here's what, it, here's what that means. Let's say you get two texts from two people in your friend group that say essentially the same thing. I'm going to tell you what, that says two things to you. Number one, God is speaking. And number two, you found your squad. That's what it means. Third one, the last one is this, your path. Amos 3.3, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? You have to walk in the same direction to get to the same destination. Quick question, how many people in your friend network would you say are walking in the same direction as you, especially in terms of faith? How many people are walking in your friend network are walking in the same direction as you, especially in terms of faith? Here's a follow-up. Do you have any friends in your network right now that are obviously not walking in the same direction? And what level of engagement are you in with them right now? Oh, they're definitely not walking in the same direction, and I tell them everything. You better quit. Quit playing. Because here's what's going to happen. It's so much easier to pull you down than to pull them up. And don't ever underestimate the power of the pull of somebody walking into sin. 
And I'll tell you why, because when we're walking that narrow road, it's difficult. We have people around us, but it's a hard road to walk. I'm going to be dead honest with you guys. Christianity is not simple. It's refreshing. It's satisfying. It's the best life you can live, but it ain't easy. But whenever somebody's walking out in sin, they have no shortage of people linking arms with them. That's why you look on social media, one person can say one thing and all of a sudden they get swarmed and it's over with. That's what happens whenever you're walking with somebody that's not walking in the same direction as you and they are tethered to your soul because of what you've been letting them speak into your life and all of a sudden they get wrapped up with other people and the pull from them is exponentially more than the pull from you. So what do you have to do? You got to take out your Jesus scissors and cut the cord. I don't want to. I like them. Okay. Again, choose your pain. Choose the pain. That's what it's about. One of the main reasons you need to be careful about your relationships is because there's a calling on your life. It isn't always full-time ministry in the traditional sense, even though we technically are all all full-time ministers. But God has a plan for your life, and that plan requires a focus on God to get to your destination. But it also requires connections with people who will help you succeed as well. Those people, those connections have immense power to either make or break the road that God has for you. See, you need somebody in your life committed to helping you get to where God wants you, wherever that might be. It's one of the reasons why we say here, it doesn't matter if you're a first-time visitor, it doesn't matter if you land here or not. I just want what God's best is for you. If it's here, praise God. If it's somewhere else, let me help you get there. You know why? Because I don't want to do anything to hinder what God wants in your life. That's where we stand on it. Now, why do y'all think that? Don't y'all worry about numbers? No, only reason we think about numbers is to make sure that we got space for people. It's a metrics thing for us, not a spiritual thing for us. It's the truth. You need people in your life. They're going to need to push you. They're going to need to challenge you, to correct you, to build you, to encourage you, to speak life into you. But they cannot be your primary propulsion system. You got to run after Jesus. You got to get that that identity. You got to chase after your destiny. If you don't have the oomph to get to your destiny, uh, there will never be enough people in this world to help you get there. You got to get there. Selfishness will make you structure relationships to get from people. And then you'll get mad when you don't get what you want from those people. Proverbs 11.25 says, And he who waters will himself be watered. If you're not getting something you feel like you need to get in your purpose in Christ, you need to evaluate two critical things. Number one, are your friends the right friends, meaning they're walking in the right direction with you? And then number two, are you watering them? Well, they're supposed to help me get that. No, you water. You water first. Can we just make that a rule? In life, you water first. Well, I'm just waiting on somebody pouring in me. You water first. Well, I don't got no water. Tap in the Holy Spirit. He's a spring of living water. Come on, somebody. You water first. There's a great scene in The Patriot at the end. Mel Gibson's character um, goes back home to discover his men are building a house for him. And uh, when he's asked what's going on, uh, here's the quote. He says, your son said if we won the war, we could build a whole new world. We thought we might as well start right here with your home. That moment couldn't have happened. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. That moment wouldn't have happened had not there been the watering that Mel Gibson's character did with those soldiers. So if you're not seeing something in your life, in your friend structures, your friend network, is it because they're not providing it for you or is it because you are not providing it for them? Because see, friendship is a two-way street. Anybody ever try to be married and it just be one person that's engaged in that marriage? That's kind of hard. Same thing with friendships. Any relationship requires two people helping. So what's the takeaway today? 
Your friends matter because your structure matters. They need to know you. And that means they've both made the effort to get in and that you've made the effort to let them in. It means that they need to know God. That means they need to have a healthy, growing relationship with Jesus so that they don't recreate the bad in them and you and that they give you godly advice, not just good advice. They need to love you. Love is born out of compassion. It's born out of love is love is out of compassion and and it makes you embrace the person and attack the problem and not abandon them when it gets too tough. They need to love God. God is love and if they don't know God and don't know lo- God and don't love God, how in the world can they love you and cover your sin? They need to know you. They need to have your best interest in mind. You need someone who's for you, not just someone who needed a pet project. If they don't have your best interest in mind, it's going to be impossible for you to ever trust them. So what's the structure look like? Jesus is the foundation. Here's the last slide. Jesus is the foundation. Love and trust is the scaffold. Encouragement and development is the framing. The Bible is the blueprint. Chemistry and fun mixed in the process. And your purpose is the completion point. Just leave it up for a moment and y'all look at this. Do you have friends that are helping this become a reality? That's my question for you today. I think that's what God would ask you today. I think what God wants you to do in this moment is to take a moment and evaluate your, your, your support network, your friends. Maybe you need to move some people around in your mind. Maybe you got some friends that need to go to acquaintance level. Maybe you got some squad that need to go to acquaintances. Maybe you have, maybe you have some friends that need a promotion. Maybe that's what it is. But can you just bow your heads for a moment right now and just ask the Holy Spirit? I've given you a lot of information today. Some practical, some biblical, hopefully some encouragement, some direction, some counsel. I've challenged you hopefully a little bit. But none of that matters. And, and it, it's not as big of a deal unless the Holy Spirit speaks to you today. I want to talk to you just for a second as you're praying, as you're thinking. You people who, um, the people in here that, that you're so scared to, to engage with people because like either you think it's your personality, I'm just not a, I'm not a very engaging kind of person, or you're scared to reach out because you're afraid of what might happen. I want to talk to you for just a second. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I'm speaking that over your life right now. Do not be afraid to reach out to someone. If God puts somebody in your heart right now, and that's what I'm asking him to do in this moment, Holy Spirit, put that person in their hearts and in their minds right now that they need to reach out to a squad-level connection that they can reach out to today. God's got a plan, not just for your purpose, but for your relationships. So, Father, today I'm asking that that plan would come to fruition in the hearts and lives of every person under the sound of my voice today. God, that every person, that they would begin, if they haven't already, that process of connecting with people, they're going to help them get to the place you've called them to. That they would begin to build structures. God, if it takes removing some old structures, God, I'm telling you, I, I, know, I know what it's like to renovate a house. And sometimes you've got to tear it back to the studs before you can do anything of worth. And so I'm asking you right now in church, you've got to let God in to do this. But will you let God tear back the walls, even to the studs, if that's what has to happen? So that what He wants can come to pass in your life. 
Don't be afraid of the tearing back because if God tears back, He's always got a plan to make it better. Just submit to Him. Jesus, we thank You. We thank You that You love us. We thank You, God, that You are our first friend. And we praise You for it. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and His people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.